0: Well, good morning. If you have an outline, well, this morning we're going to look at the Sabbath through the lens of biblical theology, uh, meaning that we're going to start in the beginning in Genesis, and then we'll end in the book of Revelation, and then we're going to hit a lot of scripture passages in between. Uh, so how the outline will work, we'll hit each section Uh, and so I'll mention what that section is about when we get there and then we'll look at those references and then we'll move on to the next section. So some helpful tools in while I was preparing for this one uh, is this book The Sabbath as Rest by Guy Waters Uh, so that was a good reference. Also Jason Seville did a sermon here a few weeks ago uh, on this the commandment Uh, and also I listened to another sermon from Kevin DeYoung which was very helpful as well so I try to Put some of this information in this class uh, for that. So these points, they all kind of grow on each other. Um, so if you have any questions, kind of just write it down on your piece of paper. And then we get to the end. Uh, hopefully, if I haven't answered it by then, we'll, we'll discuss it then. Um, so just think about the Sabbath. What does the Sabbath mean? What does uh, the Lord's Day mean? Uh, what does it mean to rest? Kind of give you uh, a little introduction of, for me what that meant. So for me, growing up in Georgia on a farm uh, with strong Christian grandparents and parents, uh, there was a different opinion on what these words, the Lord's Day, the Sabbath meant, and what you could, or in my case, could not do. Uh, so for my grandparents, uh, when they grew up in a time in society where any type of work or exertion that caused you to sweat was kind of forbidden, uh, they believed that Though you could sweep the porch, and though you could do other things like polish your shoes and press your clothes and get ready for church, and you could feed the animals, uh, some things were forbidden. uh, And so you couldn't harvest then, you couldn't plow, you couldn't plant crops. Uh, There was things in your house that you weren't allowed to do, like fold clothes, wash clothes. Uh, If you were outside, you were not allowed to pick up sticks or cut grass. Uh, so there's a lot of different things that they had these rules on, uh, but then they also would allow for you to you know, sweat in a kitchen, make a huge lunch. So it's just you know, interesting growing up and like trying to figure out okay what is allowed, what's not allowed. Uh, so you would think okay rest for me would be going fishing, and grandparents were like totally not. <laughs> and I had the sense to say okay you know now I'm not going to question that I'm just going to go with that. Uh, so some of us may be thinking okay some of these things sounds weird, uh, but this is kind of the time that we were, they were in and we are in now and to this transition of the Old Testament to the New Testament. So we'll see some of that, uh, especially when we get to Christ and his interactions with the Pharisees and their understanding of what is allowed and what's not allowed to do in the Lord's Day. Uh, so let's begin. Uh, so if I was to ask you, where is the Sabbath first mentioned, where would you say? It's creation. That's an awesome answer. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people, though, would think uh, the Sabbath was started in the tradition of the Ten Commandments when God gave the commandments to Moses on the mountain. Uh, But we'll see, as you said, here in creation. So it's interesting that the Bible introduces the Sabbath at the very beginning, in the beginning, uh, when everything is established. So we first meet the Sabbath in an account of when God makes the heavens and the earth. And that really begins in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and goes all the way to Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. So let's go ahead and read Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. Whoever has that passage.
1: Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation.
0: Thank you. So strikingly it is God here who built the Sabbath and who built it into creation so even in the earliest beginnings human beings were never without a Sabbath. So it started with God. So it's interesting that at the beginning of creation God creates the the work week for us. Uh, so there's nothing that lays out a work week in in our understanding, uh, there's a you know in science there's a year uh, because of the Earth's revolution around the sun. There's months that are gauged around the lunar cycle, uh, but the work week, the week as it is, the seven days is made by God in the very beginning, and He tells us very clearly that there was seven days, and for six days you are to work, and one day you are to rest. So in Genesis chapter two, verses one through three, there are many things that we could look at here, but I think there's four words that are very helpful that's on your sheet. Uh, it's helpful because we'll see this from now, but all the way, all the way to the end of Revelation. Uh, so the first word we see there is "finished." Finished. So what does "finished" mean? It means it's completed. That it means that the process of creation is now done. So God says He worked for six days, and on the seventh day was different, and on that day He then rested. So what does "rested" mean? Now, the word Sabbath here, it does not appear. We don't see that word Sabbath here. Uh, But the Hebrew verb, uh, rested here, is related to the noun translated Sabbath or Shabbat. So here we have an implicit connection that's being established already between God's rest and what would later be called the Sabbath. The next word is interesting is blessed. blessed. So think about Genesis chapter 1. What is being blessed in Genesis chapter 1? especially in verses 22 and 28. We didn't read that, but what is blessed?
1: Blesses
0: humans. Yep, blesses humans. He also blesses the animals. So the birds and the sea creatures were blessed, and also Adam and Eve were blessed, and they were were blessed to be fruitful and to multiply. So what connection does this type of blessing here, how does it connect with the Sabbath? So when God blesses the seventh day. He wants it marked by fruitfulness and by fullness. So he's wanting at the very beginning for it to be productive and complete. And he wants it to be done in him and by him. All right, so the next word is holy. So we see holy there in chapter 2, verse 3, right after blessed. For God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. And We see the next word is because what? Why did he make it holy? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so it was deemed different than the other six days. So the Sabbath day was to be holy, or to set apart, and later we would know that it was done for the purpose of worship. Uh, so this is not on your sheet, but if you would like to write down Leviticus chapter 19, verse 30, and chapter 26, verse 2, here God says, You shall keep my Sabbath and In reverence, my sanctuary, I am the Lord. So even these two verses here, the Sabbath was a day that was set apart to worship God. So all this sounds good so far, doesn't it? But what do you think happens to disturb this perfect work and rest relationship in Genesis? Sin. Sin, yeah. So in Genesis 3, we see that. So now the six days of work are full of what? Yeah, and so we think of that, and we, and we, you know, we, we see that as you know, work being harder, being more challenging, also in pain for women and childbirth, but also it had an effect on the Sabbath day as well. So because of that, the curse also affected the Sabbath day and our communion with God. So God created a Sabbath for rest, obedience, and Adam, and also us through him, sinned and failed to enter that everlasting week of rest which was pointed to. And this is why Jesus had to come. This is why Jesus obeyed the law, fulfilled the Sabbath, and in his life and death, and his resurrection, he fulfilled it. So that's the first point of creation. So second point is law. So the law. I think we already have three people reading these verses. So the law, if you'll go to the first reference there, in Exodus. So in Exodus... We see that the Sabbath has its, the roots in creation, but here we'll see that in the law, there's a significance that God has for the people of Israel. So in the second point, the law, we're going to see how the first five books, the Torah, are foundational for understanding the Sabbath. So we see first, this in Exodus chapter 16, 16 through 28. So someone go, go ahead and read that for us, please. This is what the Lord has commanded.
2: Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat, you shall each take an omer, according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But then when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each, and when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till morning. So they laid it aside <laughs> till morning, as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, "Eat it today, for the today is the Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none." On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses. How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my
0: laws? Thank you. So we see here uh, that God redeems His people. Uh, we see that in, He did that in Egypt and how He leads these people all the way through the wilderness. He provides for them water, and here He provides with them with manna. Um, so it's interesting here that God is merciful to the people as He provides for them, uh, but still the people grumble. And so they complain about God, how they're hungry, how they're thirsty. Uh, he provides for the manna here that we see. But what is, so as God is instructing Moses here uh, to the people, what does he tell the people to do? And what does he tell them not to do? Tell them to gather what they need, but not more than they need mm-hmm. for six days. Yeah, for six days. Yeah, it's not surprising here that people, uh, even in the very beginning, ignore God, and so they left over bread. In verse twenty, uh, the food they collected, food they did not trust God would provide the next day, has worms in it and it stinks. And then, in verse twenty-two, we see that on the Sabbath they were not to pick up bread, but were again to trust in God and to rest in Him on the holy Sabbath day. Uh, so they were to the, pick up double the food on the sixth day, so that God would then allow them to rest. Uh, But in verses 27 and 28, uh, we didn't read. But as the day then comes on the seventh day, uh, the people don't go out to worship God like they're supposed to. Instead, they go out to try to collect more food. So they instead uh, refuse to listen to God, and they decide not to keep His law. Uh, So then, this leads Israel uh, from Mount Sinai to from from the from the wilderness to Mount Sinai, where then the Ten Commandments are given. Uh, So the high point in the progress of the Old Testament is the revelation is on the Mount Sinai where these laws are commanded. Uh, So when someone go ahead and read Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, please? Remember the
3: Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord rested the Sabbath day to make it
0: holy and beautiful. Thank you. So what's the first word we see here in verse 8? Remember. Remember. So why do you think God has to tell his people to remember? Because so we forget. <laughs> yeah, so we forget. They forget. Uh, because they must strive to keep it before them, uh, because they must not allow the observance of the Sabbath to lapse. Uh, So they're not just to remember it, but they are to keep it holy. So this is like remembering your wife or your child's birthday or your friend's birthday. So if you were to get a notification that today is your wife's birthday, and then you would see her later and you'd say, hey, I remember you had a birthday. (laughs) I don't think that's really honoring her and respecting her or the day that she was born on. So if you were to go to your house later on, there's a party going on, and it's for your kids, and so you walk in, you're at the table, and all of a sudden you see your kid over there with a hat on, it's her birthday, and you'd walk in and you'd say, hey, I remember it's your birthday. Then you go to the fridge, get something to drink, and go to the television and watch TV. Is that really honoring it? Is that actually remembering it? No, that's not. So this is kind of what the, the, the Israelites did. They remembered it, uh, but they didn't actually keep it holy. And so God is trying to help them to understand that this is a day that's set apart and for them to act differently on this day than they do the other days. So it's important for us to remember that with a Sabbath commandment also came sanctions. Uh, so this is shown in Exodus chapter 31, verses 14 and 15. You can just write it down if you would like. So in this passage, God threatens the breakers of the Sabbath with capital punishment. This was not an empty warning in the Numbers fifteen thirty two through thirty six we see where an Israelite is discovered gathering sticks on the Sabbath day and is taken from the congregation and he's taken from outside the camp and then he is stoned to death. So we may think in reading this, what kind of God would do such a thing? But we have to remember that God is holy and he has given us his law to be kept. So this man is rejecting the law, but he's not just rejecting the law. He's also rejecting God. And in Romans six twenty three, it tells us that the wages of sin is what? Death. Yeah, Death. So God was teaching his people then and now that sin, that any sin is against him. So this is where the good news of the gospel comes in, that we need to be redeemed, that we need to be rescued from the bondage of sin and death. This is what Galatians 3, chapter 13 tells us, that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So in a similar, similar way, we're going to see now as the Israelites transition uh, from in the wilderness, now about to enter the promised land in Deuteronomy, they're giving a, a law that's about being redeemed. So in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12-15, through 15, can somebody go ahead and read that for me, please? Observe
4: the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant or your female servant, or your ox or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, That your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore
0: the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Thank you. So what is the most notable difference here? Think about verse fifteen. Is there something different between Exodus chapter twenty and Deuteronomy chapter five? What is it?
5: Exodus 20 connects the
0: Sabbath to creation. Mm. And here uh, in Deuteronomy it connects the
3: Sabbath to redemption,
5: specifically from
0: slavery in Egypt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's a huge distinction there that we see there in Leviticus, I mean, from, from uh, Exodus and Deuteronomy. Uh, So, Israel had been enslaved by Egypt, and so now God is redeeming them by his mighty and outstretched hand, is what it says in verse 15. Alright, so now we're going to go to the prophets. So, how was the Sabbath mentioned in the prophets? Uh, And so, for this section, uh, there's two references, uh, Isaiah 58 and Nehemiah 13. So, when someone volunteered to read Isaiah 58, thank you, and Nehemiah 13. All right, thank you. So, now up front, I'll just go ahead and tell you that I do love the prophets as well as you should, right? Yes, we all should, yes, amen. But for time's sake, uh, we have to cut some stuff from here. So, we're just going to look at these two passages. So, the first is in Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah, he is concerned about how the people are worshiping God on the Sabbath. So in chapter 57, verses 1 through 13, uh, God charges Israel with idolatry. In chapter 58, 1 through 12, he charges them uh, for fasting without concern of repentance. And God then sets forth the kind of righteousness that should accompany true worship and spiritual blessing that will follow if they obey all right. So you go, we go ahead and read that for us, please. If
6: because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor it, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure, and speaking your own word, then you will take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord is.
0: Thank you. So Isaiah here is concerned about how uh, the people are worshiping God on the Sabbath. Uh, so what word does God begin with here in verse 13? If. if. Yeah, so if. So God challenges Israel to refrain from doing what they want to do. He charges them to not do what they, where they want to go what they want to talk about on his Sabbath day. So Israel has made the Sabbath uh, after their own joys, after their own own pleasures. So instead, God is challenging Israel to honor and delight in his Sabbath day and to make it not their own. So God wants them and us to observe and pursue the Sabbath by doing what pleases God rather than what pleases us. So if they do that, God promises them, promises them what in verse 14? They shall take delight in the Lord. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. yeah, so they'll take delight in the Lord. And he says, I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. And so he's going to provide for them. So they don't have to provide for themselves if they would just obey the Lord. Uh, so the next passage we'll look at is in Nehemiah 13. Uh, so some context here, Nehemiah was neither a prophet, and he was not a priest, but rather he was a godly governor who was sent by the Persian king to Jerusalem to rebuild the city's walls. So he offers one of the last accounts in the Old Testament for us of Israel and how how they are coming now back uh, from the exile. So Nehemiah is concerned not only with the physical boundaries between God's people and the nations. But he's also worried about the spiritual boundaries of keeping the other nations' practices and beliefs out of Israel. So we see that in chapter 10, verse 30, he mentions not giving Israelite daughters to the foreign nations and not taking their daughters for their sons. And then in verse 31, Nehemiah tells them, if the people of the land bring goods into the territory on the Sabbath day, that they should not buy from them. Okay, so can you go ahead and read now Nehemiah 13, 15 through 22 for us, please? In those days I saw in Judah
4: people training wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on the donkeys, and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loaves, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyranians also, who lived in the city, brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah and Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing, profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way and not our God bring all this disaster on us and on the city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. As soon as it began to grow dark in the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should not be Until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I warned them and said to them, Why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also is in my favor, oh my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast
0: love. Very good. Thank you. Okay, so let's look at this passage here in verses. So, what do you see taking place first in verses 15 and 16?
5: Regular trade sales happening on the Sabbath day.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, so. He'd already told them earlier not to do this, and so now it's taking place. What do we see taking place is taking place in verse seventeen and eighteen.
5: Amaz is confronting the nobles, uh, the leaders of Judah, like, "What are you doing?
0: Mm-hmm. You
5: know better. Mm-hmm.
0: Why are you doing this?" Mm-hmm. And who does he mention? Who did this already? The ancestors. Yeah, See, so their fathers, they did the same thing in the past. They didn't obey God, and so this is why they were sent into Exodus. Uh, This is why they were in the wilderness for so many years. And so now this is the same thing that's taking place and why his own people now were in exile because they would not obey the Lord. Um, And so they profaned the Sabbath day. So this is a very serious thing in in the Old Testament. It's mentioned over and over. Again, uh, this is why they were um, in bondage. So, what happens in verses 19 through 22? What does Nehemiah do? It makes it impossible for trade to happen on the Sabbath day. Mm-hmm. Shuts all the gates. Yeah. So he takes some physical safeguards here for the Sabbath, so that goods would not come into Jerusalem. And what does he even tell the the, Levi- the Levites? He tells them to purify themselves and to guard the gates, to keep it holy. Uh, What's interesting here is that physical force was needed uh, to keep the people holy, but these measures could not control what? The The heart. Yeah, the human heart. So the human heart, even after all these commandments, were still wicked. So this shows that as the Old Testament now is coming to a close so is the unrealized fulfillment of the Old Testament's prophecies of a spiritual rest, a spiritual restoration. So this longing for hope uh, is what the people wanted, but they didn't actually receive it. And So now we come to the New Testament, and and here we'll see how Christ uh, was promised long ago that someone would come and to fulfill this law, someone would give us a complete rest, so that's in Christ. Uh, So if we look at this section... um, we have four references. Can someone read and find Luke 4? Thank you. Mark chapter 1. Thank you. Matthew chapter 23. Thank you. And then Matthew 27. Thank you. So we're going to go through these a little more quickly so that we can have time for a discussion uh, and application. So... Uh, In this section, we're going to look at what the gospel tells us about the Sabbath prior to Jesus' resurrection. So this is just when Jesus comes on the scene and how he lives his life before his death and resurrection. So this is because the ministry that Jesus has, very uh, he's coming to fulfill the Mosaic Law, to fulfill the Mosaic Covenant. And so he prepares for the dawn of the new covenant that is to take place in his fulfilling of that in his life and death and resurrection. So let's look at Luke chapter 4 first. So Luke 4, 16-21.
3: And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he wrote up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing.
0: Okay, so Christ, Jesus is here, he comes on the scene, he comes to the synagogue, which is his tradition. And he reads the scroll. And Luke here tells us that his public ministry begins here uh, in his own hometown. And he reads from where in the Old Testament? Yeah, Isaiah 61. And he declares that what has been spoken of here in the prophets is now being fulfilled in their hearing. So we see from the beginning that Jesus didn't see himself as above the Sabbath. He does not see himself as above the Mosaic law, but rather he comes to observe it and to fulfill it. And so I think that was one thing that was interesting in reading this. I just kept thinking, um, maybe the, the background that I grew up in, I was just thinking, okay, Christ was better than that. He, he came and he was above that, but that's not the point. He came and he observed it to the T, and he fulfilled it. And so that's what we will see here in Mark chapter 1 and some of these other references. So, in Mark chapter 1.
5: Make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I do choose to be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. After sternly warning him, he sent him away at once, saying, saying to him, say, you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing yeah. what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and spread the word so that Jesus could no longer go into the town openly.
0: Okay. Thank you. So, what do we see here taking place? Jesus healing. hmm Yeah. So, so a leper uh, wants to be clean. It says, "If you will, you can make me clean." Verse forty-one. Jesus is moved with pity. So he stretches out his hand, he touches him and says, I will be clean. I think usually that's as far as I get into that. uh, But one of Jesus' first miracles here uh, is taking place is the healing of the man. And so the legal background, what's taking place here, it goes back to Leviticus chapter 14, uh, verses 1 through 32, where God, uh, through Moses, gives the priests directions regarding people who have been cleansed of leprosy. So this offering here that Jesus is talking about is a proof to them that this man has been healed physically. Uh, And this shows that Jesus' ministry here is taking place not just on his own initiative, but it's taking place under the Mosaic Covenant in such a way that Jesus here is honoring it. So he's honoring it to a T, what the Mosaic Law, what the Mosaic Covenant was to talk about. So this is important because it's by these same lines that Jesus would bring the law to fulfillment. What does Matthew five seventeen say? I don't. I didn't ask anybody to read that, but does anyone know Matthew five seventeen? The one about not setting
1: aside the law, but fulfilling
0: the law. Yeah, yeah. So he didn't come, you no, know, to do away with the law. But he came to fulfill the law. Uh, so who has Matthew chapter twenty three? All right, so what do we see here taking place in Jesus' ministry? So this is coming to the end of Jesus' public ministry. Yeah. Yeah, and
5: he is, again, in a situation of confrontation with scribes and Pharisees, Mm
0: -hmm. but
5: not with what they're teaching. Mm. It's what they're doing.
0: Mm -hmm.
5: Um, And he's saying there's a mismatch here. They're teaching... Uh, from they said, they said on Moses' seat, they're
0: teaching mm-hmm. the law apparently accurately, mm-hmm. but not doing it. Yeah, yeah, good. Uh, and so what we see here is that Jesus is about to pronounce some serious woes on the Pharisees, and you'll see that in chapter, in this in this chapter in going from verse one to thirty-six. Uh, but what is interesting, like you're saying, is how Jesus begins these set of woes in these verses that we read. Uh, so, what's surprising is he tells the, crowds, tells the crowds that they should listen to the scribes and listen to the Pharisees because these people do sit on Moses' seat and they should follow and they should observe whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do. So, he's trying to tell them that, okay, I recognize that these people are legitimate leaders, they have authority. He even tells his disciples to do whatever they tell you to do, but he also tells them to not do what. Follow their example.: Yeah, it's to not follow their example, to not do the work that they do. For they preach, but they do not practice what they say. They make heavy burdens on the people, but they don't try to relieve them of those. And so they're just adding on extra laws. Uh, so, what we see is that even though Jesus disagreed with how the Pharisees and the scribes taught, he confirms that he was consciously conducting his earthly ministry under the Mosaic covenant. And so he, he came to fulfill that. And so he is uh, obeying that. So now we see at the end of the death of Jesus, we have one passage to look at. Uh, this is in Matthew chapter 27.
3: And behold, the perfect <coughs> Mm-hmm. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly this was the Son of Truly this was the Son of God.
0: Thank you. So there's two points. There's a lot of points we could talk about. Maybe we can even have a whole sermon on this. But there's two points that are interesting and worthy of note here. Uh, the first, what happens to the curtains? The temple curtains? Get
1: torn.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so the, the curtains that were dividing the holies of holies and the holy place is torn. They're torn in two from top to bottom. Uh, So this tearing here is not just a human tearing, it's a supernatural manifestation of God's work here. And so what's interesting is he is signifying here that at the death of Christ, the temple that they were to worship in, with all of its sacrifices, with the priest and all the cleansings that was important, that Christ had already talked about, that we just read about, that all these things now have been brought to an official end in the history of redemption. And so we know later on this would physically take place when the Romans come in. But spiritually here we see that there's an end of all those things. Uh, So the second thing is saying that the physical temple has served its purpose. Uh, So from this point forward, how are sinners then to approach God?
1: Through
0: the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah. So, yeah, so now we are to approach God through the finished work of our high priest, Jesus Christ. So not through a priest anymore, not through sacrifice anymore, not through making different types of offerings and purifications, but through Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. All right, so we'll go to our next to the last section, trying to speed us up. Um, in this, we have four passages. So someone, someone take Acts chapter 20. That's one verse, so it's easy. All right. 1 Corinthians 16. Thank you. Hebrews chapter 10. Thank you, sir. Revelation chapter 1. All right. So here's a quote uh, I found interesting. Uh, It's from B.B. Warfield. So he was a Presbyterian. uh, And he said, Christ took the Sabbath into the grave with him, and brought the Lord's day out of the grave with him on the resurrection morn. Uh, and so, as so we think about, okay, what is the Sabbath? How is it different than the Lord's day? So we're going to look at some one passage that describes the Lord's day. But we, we see that there's some continuity, some things that were taking place in the Sabbath that carry over. There's also a lot of different principles that take place now in what we call the Lord's day. Uh so now in this section, we are to look at the New Testament Sabbath and the period of history between now Jesus' resurrection and his ultimate return. So the Gospels relay different stories of Jesus, but they all are united in reporting that Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. So now, what has changed, according to the New Testament writers, is the particular day on which believers assemble now to worship God. So, from creation until the resurrection, God's people were called to worship on the seventh day. I mean, on the Sabbath day, uh, and now we see this transition taking place of worship taking place on the first day of the week, uh, and so we see that this is taking place, and the people. Uh, This begins. You don't have this in your notes, but we see we see four uh, different appearances of why this was taking place. And so, if you just want to jot this down, uh, the first we see where the resurrection takes place is in John chapter 20, verse 1. That's when uh, the tomb is empty, and it's talked about on the first day. So that's chapter John chapter 20, verse 1, describes Christ being raised from the dead. Uh, The second appearance takes place in John chapter 20, verses 19 and 20. Uh, The third appearance is in verse 26, thus it is the first day of the week again. So just one week after Jesus' first appearance to the disciples, now he's appearing to Thomas uh, there. And the fourth is in Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Uh, This is where Jesus walks with his two disciples from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and he shares with them something neat uh, in Luke chapter 24, verse, 20, chapter 24, verse 27, uh, you don't have to go there, I'll read it for you. But there uh, it says, then, in, then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures this thing concerning himself. So he's telling these disciples how he, uh, beginning in the Moses and through all the prophets, how he is interpreting how he fulfilled these things in himself. Um, meaning that the resurrection of Christ now has a momentous implications for us in all of human history. Uh, so we see that in Galatians chapter 4, uh, verses 4 through 5, and I'll read that for us. So in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, Born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And so, the, all those references I mentioned, I decided to add later, and so that's why it's not in your handout. Uh, there's a ton more I could have put, but just because of time's sake, we're not able to get into all of them. But let's look at the ones I mentioned in your sheet. So, Acts chapter 20, verse 7.
3: And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them. Ready to depart on the morrow
0: and continue the speech until midnight. So, this is here is towards, thank you, uh, the end of Paul's missionary journey. So, Paul is gathering with the church at Troas here. Uh, and so, that's what's mentioned there. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16.
4: Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are here. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store
0: it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Thank you. So here the main emphasis of this passage is the collection of money that's being taken up for mostly the Gentile churches to send to the Jewish church. Uh, and so Paul's writing that. But what's interesting uh, is he doesn't make, much a, doesn't make a big deal about the scheduling of the day. When they're to do it, he just says what? He says, on the first day of every week. So he's like, it's obvious that these people should have a pattern of these churches, the meeting on the first day. Uh, so Hebrews chapter 10, 23 through 25. Let us
3: hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day dry.
0: Thank you. So this is a verse we often hear uh, mentioned. Uh, but what do we not see here? What's not mentioned? Prescribed day. Yeah. So prescribed day is not mentioned. But what do we see? Meet regularly. Say regularly. again? Sorry. To meet regularly. Yeah. Yeah. To meet regularly to stir each other one another up in love and good works, not to n- neglecting to meet together as the habit of some. So it seems like even at this point, there was a habit already taking place that people were not meeting together. So now let's look at our last passage uh, in Revelation chapter 1, verses
3: 9 and 10. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I
0: heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet thank you so the book of revelation opens with the apostle john he's in exile on the island of patmos and he hears a voice and then sees a vision of the exalted christ that's in verses 12 through 16 Uh, all this takes place while he was in the spirit on the lord's day it says so this expression the lord's day is otherwise not mentioned in the new testament like i said but Although later Christians would pick up on this phrase and designate it Sunday as the weekly day that Christians are to gather together to worship. Uh, So, thinking about Lord, is there something else that Christians now partake in that has the name Lord in it? We may do this today after the service. The Lord's Supper, yeah. So, it's the Lord's Supper. So, this day is similar to the Lord's Day. And that both donate, denote possession. Uh, in other words, the supper, the Lord's supper, or the Lord's day, in view here, is that it belongs to the Lord. So he lays claim to it, to the meal, and he lays claim to the day. So it's his day. It's his meal. All right, so let's do some practice here. So let's look at some application. There's three that I mentioned here. Uh, there's plenty more. Um, So I'll give you some examples of things that were mentioned either in the book that I referenced earlier or in the two sermons. Um, So just look at it and think through some applications on how to observe and how to honor the Sabbath day, the Lord's day. So first think about the Lord's day, the day uh, or the Sabbath. Is this a day that for you, is it a climax or is it a collapse for you? So is it a climax? Is this the most exciting day of the whole week for you? Are you so excited during the week to be able to meet with each other? Is it something you look forward to? Or is it a collapse, like Friday's my day, it's the day that I'm done with the work, now I can go meet my friends and do this and that, and I'm so excited for Friday. And then Saturday's great as well. And Sunday's coming, I need to get some sleep, but i probably stay up really late, and I'll be tired during the service, and then as you're here in the, during the service, think about, okay, with the Mars, the work week it starts, and then you start getting depressed. So is Sunday, is Sunday, is it the climax in your life or is it the collapse? All right, so first let's think about to set apart the whole day to God's worship, to set apart the whole day to God's worship. So we should all be committed members of a local church where the word is central to everything we do and is... Ligon Duncan has said that we should be a church that sings the word, hears the word, in reading and in sermons, who prays the word in prayers, and we see the word in the Lord's Supper and the ordinance. So this could mean, so application, this could mean attending an evening service after you attend the morning service. That night, You could, if there's not an evening service, you may attend a fellowship group, a Bible study, or even if when you're on vacation, meet with another local church. So those are just things that we should do that we should set apart that one day to devote to God. And so that's the first. And then to the, so think about these and some things that would be helpful for you. And then after, if we have time, we can see anything that was helpful for you. The second find ways to enjoy Christian fellowship and extend hospitality on the Lord's day. So some things you could do on this day is to invite fellow believers and visitors from church over to your house or go eat at a restaurant to meet together. Visit members who are unable to attend because of their age or injuries. You could encourage someone who may be discouraged or tired in the Lord. You can talk with friends, a spouse, or children about that sermon that you heard, and what you learned, what was convicting, And how you plan to apply it. So, that point is just thinking about Christian fellowship. So, the first is thinking, you know, vertical about God. How do you serve and honor Him on the, and, you know, on the holy Sabbath, the Lord's Day? The second is thinking about then your horizontal, your Christian friends, your Christian fellowship. Uh, And then the third is seek spiritual refreshment on the Lord's Day and every day. So in this, there's some applications. You could read a good book. You could watch a movie. You could go for a walk, run, other sporting activities just to be out in God's creation, especially if you're an inside person. You're always inside during the week, so you can just reset uh, of that day. Uh, What I would like to do is take a long, good nap on Sunday. That often does not happen, but that's something I look forward to. Uh, so the goal here on the Sabbath is to have a good gospel reset, is to have a good gospel rest in God. And so we need this more than most of us would like to admit. We run very hard here in this area. We try to achieve a lot of things in our own power and our own strengths. So thankfully God has told us and he's told us to observe and provides us with one day every week where we should rest in him. And so we should find our pleasure and our joy in Him. We should prepare that day for the rest of the week. How are we going to treat that one day throughout the rest of the week in our time, not just working and working and working? So we should try to find ways to rest in Him every day until we await the future and final Sabbath rest in Him. So is any, did anyone find anything helpful uh, or have any helpful ways to apply the Sabbath a day?
2: Yes? One
6: thing that stood out to me from that ex- the first Exodus passage, Exodus mm-hmm. 16, um, is that the Israelites worked twice as hard on the day before the Sabbath so mm. that they were
0: prepared to observe the Sabbath. Mm. Um, and I, So I grew up Sabbatarian, observing. Mm-hmm.
6: Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but my, my whole life as people have, like, reflect, reflected back to me that I'm not working on Sabbath, it's always like, I wish I could do that too. And mm. I'm like, you have no idea how hard I work for uh-huh. the rest of the week so that I can rest on Sunday, mm. right? In law school, I think the Sabbath saved my life, right? I was <laughs> in, it, it just, it made me stop and rest. If I thought mm-hmm. I had a choice, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. Um, but that meant that when my friends were like, you were saying, like, crashing Friday night and partying on Saturday,
0: uh-huh.
1: I
6: was studying. Mm. <laughs> but anyway, so that Exodus passage just could be funny of like, oh, they're they're doing twice as much work to collect their food on Saturday
0: so that they can rest Sunday. So, it, I mean, it involves planning, too. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sorry sure about my errands that I need to on Saturday, so I don't But anyway. Yeah, that's great. Um, I find huge blessing in that. Mm-hmm.
6: But anyway, one question I would have was how mm-hmm. would you apply this? to somebody who lives in a country where the rhythm of work
2: is mm-hmm. not to have
6: like a weekend that covers Sunday. Like we had friends who lived in Dubai for a
0: year. Mm-hmm. It was just the regular, yeah. to go into the workplace mm-hmm. on the Lord's day. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you apply this? Yeah, it's, it's challenging. Uh, my wife and I lived overseas for four years in a country that their, their day of worship was Friday. Um, and so we actually worked on Sunday, uh, which was very challenging. Uh, at first, just thinking through that process. Okay, how, how do we? We're working now on what we typically would consider the Lord's Day, but we were in a different context, um, also. And so, we would try to find a day to rest as Christians, but also we tried to find ways um, to worship together. So we would do that on a different day with other Christians. And so, it's very important, even if you you can't do it on the Sunday, to at least find a day to worship together, so that. Whatever day it is that you're, you're treating it differently than the other six days that God has commanded you to work. And so we are commanded to work hard six days a week and then also to have a day of rest when <laughs> worshiping God. Um, so I think it's, it's just important to find that day when you can separate yourself from what the tri- typical tradition, the normal culture lays upon you. Yes? Uh, one thing connected.
1: Verse 7 says that Paul was preaching in the evening mm-hmm. on the Lord's Day mm-hmm. so it might even be that the early Christians were dealing
0: with the exact same thing mm-hmm. because who said that
1: they got Sundays off
0: right? Yeah.
1: And, and so this has been like a thing since the church has begun and it
0: seems that Christians dealt with it by gathering at a time like where they could mm-hmm. and were like because they couldn't change Yeah, or maybe some
1: of them were servants or slaves, and so they Mm -hmm. gathered when they could and worshiped the Lord when they could and set aside time, even if it meant Paul was preaching to them, and so until they all got really tired, and the guy fell out of the window.
0: (laughs) That is true, that's what happens sometimes here, (laughs) 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 but certain pastors. Uh, yeah, and that's good. And that's also good to remember, like, the persecuted church. I mean, so they're, they're in places that they can't gather. Uh, and so it's not something they're sinning because they're not gathering. I think it's because they're just not able to. And so they would love to gather. Um, and so that's a time for us to pray for those who are in situations, but also to be very uh, rejoicing that we have the opportunity not to get lightly. Um, so let's close in prayer. And then if there's more questions. Yeah. Sorry. No, you're good. Was, you're one of those pastors. <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, anyway. um, any any thoughts? So I mean, you've got you've got little kids. Uh-huh. Um, for people who are like, man, Sundays do not feel restful. Uh, mm-hmm. Even coming to church is really hard in mm-hmm. um, various seasons of life for different reasons. So help pastor those of us, you know, or people are,
0: people from that season's coming, coming.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how to think well about that
0: whenever. And even, even coming to, to worship is, mm-hmm. uh,
3: feels pretty, could feel taxing or doesn't feel restful yeah. in
0: that sense. Yeah. Yes, I think, I think kind of like what we were saying earlier, it's very helpful if we if we work our whole day, the seven days of the week that we have, into maximizing the Sunday. Uh, and so a lot of people spend their day on Friday and Saturday just grinding, uh, and so they're exhausted. Uh, so they go to bed late on Saturday, and so naturally on Sunday morning you're already tired. Uh, so I think it's very helpful if you can think, of okay, what are some good routines you can set for your family on Saturday so that you can go to bed at a decent time so that you can get up early uh, and have breakfast, but then also prepare your kids for what's about to take place in uh, coming to Sunday school and in service. And, and I think kids are uh, able to handle it better than we are in some aspects, so, so they can – they can learn and grow, and I think we often uh, take too much, uh, what's the right word, we, we, we're too easy on them. I think they, they, can, they can press through better than we can sometimes, and we don't want to do it so we're like, oh, the kids are tired, so we just won't do it tonight. But really, you're just being, or I'm just being lazy. Um, and so I think it's helpful to remember, like, okay, God has told us if we do what he tells us, uh, if we obey him, he will bless us. And so if we put that in our mindset, okay, I'm going to do whatever God has told me to do, even though I don't think it's possible, even though I don't see like how this is going to actually benefit me, I don't see how I'm going to be able to do it because I'm tired. If we do, I think God will bless us by allowing us to come and to understand and to grow in His Word. Um, and then also helping others as well uh, who may be having more challenging with, challenges with kids, uh, helping them get inside and helping them get set up or you know, doing what you can to help parents with kids. Um, So we're about to start So let me go ahead and close in prayer Uh, Father we thank you for this time To think about uh, the Sabbath And how uh, Father you have designed it In creation How you made it perfect and holy You separated it from the other days of the week So that we could rest We could rest and be Full and filled and completed in you And Father how we are to think Through that the rest of the week Uh, Father we thank you that uh, we cannot fulfill the law, we cannot achieve it, uh, and so by it we are damned, we are cursed. Uh, but in Christ, He came and fulfilled the law by fulfilling it Himself, being cursed, uh, by taking upon our sins, by uh, paying the life and death that we should have, and giving us His life, His perfect life. Uh, Father, we thank You for that. We, we thank You that we have the opportunity uh, in this country now to Think about Christ and his resurrection and how he has defeated sin, uh, how now he reigns in life. Uh, Father, we pray that you'd help us to see these things as we now meet with our brothers and sisters, that we would hear the word uh, preached, that we would be uh, hear the word in prayers and music and just cheer, uh, and that it would be a new, refreshing day as we think about the Lord's day. We think about this on Easter. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. amen.